Okay, good morning, Veritas. How we doing? Yep. Uh, nothing like a little church service in the rain. Hopefully the worst has already come and gone. Uh, my name is Mikey Stewart. For those of you who don't know me, welcome to Veritas. Glad you're here. The first and only thing you need to know about me this morning is that I work for the college ministry of this church called The Salt Company, and we have a golf fundraiser coming up. Okay, so put, yep, thank you, put it on your calendars, September 19th, about a month and a half away. Uh, the reason I'm bringing this up is because it helps support salt companies. So in the fall, when students are here, we have around 400 college students gathering every week to worship, to uh, hear teaching from the Bible. We just got done with our summer salt series. It was a great time. We had over 100 students gathering here, uh, just worshiping and being in fellowship with one another. And so... Uh, but this upcoming fall is going to be pretty uncertain, as you would expect. And usually, our SALT leaders uh, serve concessions at our home Hawkeye football games, and we raise a bunch of money for that, and that's one of the ways that we support the ministry. Well, this year, it's not maybe looking like we'll do that, and so we're going to try and push this golf fundraiser hard. So there's free Chick-fil-A there. Uh, it's teams of four best ball at a beautiful course in Riverside uh, Casino and Golf Resort. And you can sign up today at saltiowacity.com. So don't forget it. Uh, you're not going to miss it. That's going to be great and a great way to support uh, the great work that God's doing here in Iowa City. This morning we're continuing in our series of First John, and I have the privilege of following up Mark in his uh, exhortation of what John said to us to test every spirit and see if it uh, lines up with the teachings of Jesus Christ. And the logical uh, flow of John's thought is that our correct doctrine, if we're testing these spirits and we have correct doctrine, it will lead us to be people of love. Even people of perfect love, he says. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. But if we're talking about love, it would be very helpful for us to start by defining what is love. Okay, if I asked every single one of you here, hey, what is love? How would you define love? What is love to you? You would all give me some sort of answer that would sound kind of like the person next to you, but we would all have different ideas of what love is. We all bring different things to the table. And this is good, but that's actually not super helpful if we're to be people of love, right? If we're going to be people of love, of this one thing, we need some sort of concrete example of something to move towards. We need a vision for our lives, a path to progress down if we're going to be people of love. So it's helpful for us to ask this question. And John, as you guys will know if you've read his gospel, as we've been going through this book, seemingly the lens that John looks at life through is a lens of love. It seems to portray uh, everything that he sees. You have to remember, he walked with Jesus for three years as he did his ministry. John was Jesus' best friend. He's called the beloved disciple. He wrote uh, the Gospel of John. He wrote this. And I bet if you had the opportunity to ask John, Hey, John, what was Jesus like? How would you describe your time with Jesus? I bet after a little bit of pondering, he would say, Jesus loved me very well. Like, I think that's the one thing John would say is that Jesus was loving. So if you will accept the definition that I'm going to throw out there this morning, 
it's this. You can take notes. Here's our definition. Love is doing what is in the best interest of the person being loved, regardless of what it costs, with no interest in being rewarded, recognized, or repaid. Okay, I'm going to say it again because it's important that we get this. Love is doing, it's an action, what is in the best interest of the person being loved, regardless of what it costs. That's big. And with no interest in being rewarded, recognized, or repaid for your love. And I get this definition from verses 9 and 10 of 1 John. We're going to be in 1 John 4, looking at 7 through 21. So if you want to start flipping there, you can. But here's where I get the definition from. Verse 9. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this. Here's John's definition. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So what is the essence of love? Boil it down. Let's be simplistic here. What is the essence of love? John would say, self-sacrifice for the sake of another. Okay? And if that's true, if you guys will accept that with me, then there is no more clear expression of love than Jesus Christ dying on the cross for you and me. Okay, we're going there early this morning. Jesus Christ on the cross is the essence of love. Now, it's easy for us to love those who we think are worthy or maybe your friend or your family, somebody who can give something back to you. It's easy to love those people. But Jesus on the cross, the essence of love, was giving something up greatly for those who were not his friends, who had nothing to offer him, people who were dead. We were enemies of God, dead in our sins. And it cost him greatly, didn't it? It cost him his life. It cost him living in paradise with his father in perfect relationship. It cost him greatly. And cheap or fake love doesn't usually cost us a whole lot on the front end. So what are some of the answers that the world gives us? If we say, hey world, what is love to you? One of the things you might encounter, maybe not this explicitly, but this idea that love is a feeling. Okay, love is something you feel. If you feel happy around this person, if you feel safe or you feel encouraged, whatever, something you feel, the world will tell you, yeah, that's love. You're feeling love. Congrats. In this, this faulty definition, this sand that a lot of people build their houses upon, this is why relationships crumble at some of the slightest challenges. Okay, whether it's a roommate relationship or a dating relationship, marriage even, whatever. Because if this is our definition and the happiness is gone, well, then you can obviously say, oh, the love is gone. I'm just going to get out of this relationship. Advertisements today, social media, they thrive on this definition of love, that love is a feeling. Like you look at, you look at Facebook and everybody, these new relationships, whatever they're posting, they're smiling with their significant other. They're saying, I love this person. Why? What are they inferring? Because I feel happy with them. Look how happy we look. Look how much fun we're having. Yet John says the crucifixion, Jesus dying on the cross, that is actually the essence of love. So we have Coca-Cola advertisements and Facebook saying one thing, and we have the Word of God, the Apostle John, telling us another thing. Which one's going to prevail? How about another example? If, if, all right, 
maybe we say, no, love's not a feeling. How about this one? Love is approval. Love is affirmation. This says, if you don't approve of me, then you don't love me. If you can't affirm my actions, my belief, my stance on this, 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 and this, then you don't love me. This might sound familiar. This is like the root of cancel culture that's running rampant today. It's like, oh, you think this? Canceled. You're out of my life. I reject you. You don't believe this, and I believe this, and, and my belief contradicts yours? No, we cannot be friends. We cannot have love for one another because you don't approve of the things I approve of. Okay, affirmation. If, if my child loves disobeying me, like they just get a lot of enjoyment out of not doing what I say they should do, but I don't speak into their life and say, hey, son, you shouldn't do that. Because, you know, I don't want to, I want to affirm them. I want to love them by affirming. Yeah, you know, what you, what you think is legit, I guess, and you can do whatever you want. No, that's not me being a loving parent. That's not real love. Affirmation and approval is not love. Like, okay, you can, you can love your spouse, your roommate, your friend, somebody in your family, and still disagree with them. You don't hear that very often, but that's true. So let's go back to it. What is love? Self-sacrifice with no intention of being repaid. As I was wrestling with this this week and I'm asking myself this question, what is love? I felt the Holy Spirit tugging on me as uh, one morning this past week, I don't remember when it was, but I was coming in from taking my dog, Moose, on a walk. He's a great little yellow lab. Great boy. Anyways, uh, brought him in from a walk and I was planning on doing what I do every single morning. Pour myself another cup of coffee throw a bagel in the toaster, bust out my newspaper, start reading it. Okay? <laughs> it's a great morning routine. But then, as I was coming in, I want to do what I, was, what I usually do. I look at my wife, my lovely wife, and she's making cookies for somebody else. Okay? In the morning. She's just like, amazing. She's serving, and she's literally making something for someone else. And I look at it, and the Holy Spirit's like, hey, buddy, go help her. And I'm like, oh, but I want to drink my coffee and eat my bagel. No! Love is self-sacrifice. I don't get to do what I want to do if I'm going to love my wife well. And I don't do that so that she's like, you know, recognize, oh, you're such a great husband. No, this is like such a small thing. I'm just like not reading the newspaper. But the Holy Spirit is saying that is actually love in action. It can be something that small. College students, some of you guys moved in like yesterday, this weekend. Some of you guys are moving in next weekend, whatever. Here's one I love to just rail on. Do your roommate's dishes, okay? And don't do it in front of them and, like, make a big deal out of it, like, splash water everywhere. No, do it in secret. Like, wake up 15 minutes before they do, do their dishes, don't tell them you did it. No intention of being recognized, rewarded, or repaid. That's what love is. How about Jesus Christ dying for your sins? Doing what was in the best interest of you and me at great cost to himself. Amen? We can see this. If we think about what love is, we see Jesus is the definition of love. And I assure you, this love of God for mankind is still available to each and every single one of you today. You only need to come in faith and accept this with faith. Okay, so if that's what love is, then we run into a big problem. Loving people's hard. It's not natural. I don't want to. It's okay to say that because it is hard. 
We don't have to pretend like it's easy. So let's get into it. Why do we love? Here's five reasons, if you're taking notes. Five reasons why we love from the text. Look with me, 1 John 4, starting at 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another. Why? Because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. So reason number one, why do we love? Let us love one another because love is from God and God is love. Kind of confusing, but don't miss this. John's being actually pretty simple here. He's saying we should be people of love. We should love one another because of who God is. That's what he's saying. Just as a child resembles their parent, so we ought to be representing our Father in heaven who's given us new birth. If you are a new creation in Christ and you come to Christ in faith, the Bible says you are born again. And if you're born again, if you're a true child, that means you must resemble the one you're born from. In this case, God our Father is a God of love. It says that God is love. Love is something so essential to his nature that it has to be essential about his children. There's some things about parents and children that don't need to be the same. This is one of those things. It's like, if you're a child of God, you have to have this. So if you come to me and say, hey, buddy, I've been, uh, I got this boat a year ago. I've been working on it, new paint job on it, new sound system, new motor. Let's take it out and go fishing. I would say, yes, I would love to go fishing with you. We take it out to the lake, start fishing. 30 minutes later, we're not fishing anymore. We're treading water because the boat is at the bottom of the lake. It doesn't float. I would say, hey, man, there's something wrong with your boat. It's missing an essential characteristic about it, namely that it floats in water. Okay? Something wrong with your boat. The Christian who has no love for their brother or sister, the loveless Christian, as if there was one, I would say, hey, there's something off about your faith. Namely that you don't love people. Okay, this is so essential that it has to be there if you are to be called a child of God. So, plain and simple. Reason number one, let us love one another because love is from God and God is love. Reason number two, let us love one another to follow the example of God sending his son for us. Let us love one another to follow the example of God sending his son for us. Look with me in verse 9. I already read it earlier, but I'm going to read it again. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. John saying, verse 11, because this is true, we have to love one another. So let us love one another to follow the example of God sending his son. This right here, God sending his son to die for us is the foundation of Christianity. It has been for the past 2,000 years, and it will be until Jesus returns. Now I'm going to go there. It would make sense for us to shy away from this doctrine. Like, okay, God sending his son to die 
That doesn't seem very loving. Makes sense for us to kind of shy away from this and try and get around it and come up with some crafty way of saying, no, no, no. What actually happened didn't happen. No. Christianity says this. This is everything. The cross of Jesus Christ, this is love. This is love. How can this be possible? Jesus dying, a horrendous death. How can that be love? Well, go back to our definition. If it's just a feeling or if it's just approval, then of course this doesn't make sense and we would not hold this up as love. Like, do you really think Jesus Christ was like feeling happy as he's going to the cross or he felt approved of by God? No, absolutely not. He felt the opposite of those things. But if love is self-sacrifice, like we've established that it is, then there is nothing more loving than a God substituting himself for his creation. And perhaps the craziest part of this idea of the crucifixion is that God initiated this love. He started it. He loved us first. It says love consists in this. What? Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. That is what consists of love. And I got to go there, forgive me for this gym illustration, but if I invite you to my gym and I say, hey, buddy, come work out with me, and you say, oh, no, I could never go to CrossFit. No way. I have got to get in shape before I go to CrossFit with you. A little crazy. I'm like, okay. That, you're missing the point. You come to the gym in order to get in shape. That's the whole point of the gym. It takes you to where you want to be. You don't have to do anything before. Same principle, kind of, <laughs> with Jesus and the church. If, if I say, hey, man, you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you say, oh, no, I got I to gotta clean up some stuff first. No, you're missing the point. You're missing what Jesus has done for you. You're missing the full love of God. There is no cleaning up to do anymore. Amen? It's been taken care of. The only thing you do is you come to him in faith and you say, I plead, I plead guilty and I need your righteousness to cover me. And one of the things that's helpful to think about uh, when we think about this love of God is that Jesus is not the only one who suffered in the crucifixion as he's dying for our sins. Okay? If God the Father was active in sending Jesus, that means he was also active in the pain that Jesus felt. So if I go to the mall with my wife and God forbid some crazy guy comes in and starts injuring a bunch of people and I move towards that danger and I unfortunately lose my life, sure, I, I suffered a tragedy. It, it, it hurt and whatever. But you know who suffers just as much, maybe even more? My wife, my family, my friends. It's easy for us to think that God was just like cold and heartless in the crucifixion. Like, yeah, just go die for him. Just go, go die on the cross. And he doesn't care. I'll see you later. No. God the Father is, was deeply felt the pain and the suffering of being separated from his only begotten son, his most prized relationship. And John says, if this is true, if all that's true, that God loved us that much, we have to love one another. 
Reason three. Why do we love each other? Let us love one another because love is our witness. Love is our witness. Verse 12, this is cool. John says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. So remember, this is John who wrote the book of John. And in John 1, 18, he says, he starts off a sentence the exact same way. No one has ever seen God. And then he says, the one and only son who is himself God and is at the father's side, he's revealed him. Okay, that's what John says in the beginning of his gospel account. Now here, he starts off the same way. This is a bunch of years later, he's writing this. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. And this word complete is the same word that Jesus used as he's dying on the cross, taking his last breath, and he says, it is finished. Same word, it is complete. It is perfected. This love is matured. So, we see that love originated in God, was present in the Trinity from eternity past, and it was revealed in the Son. And now what? John says, love, the love of God is displayed right here through his church, through us, through the children of God. That's how love is displayed. And remember, uh, Jesus spoke to his disciples and he said, by this they'll know if you're my disciples. By what? If you love one another, if you love one another, they'll know you are from me. So why do we love? We love one another to tell the world about Jesus Christ. Reason number four, let us love one another because love is our assurance. Love is our assurance. Look at me, verse 13 through 16. It says, this is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. A question a lot of us ask ourselves. Am I in the love of God? Am I in the will of God? This is how we know. He's given us of his spirit. And we've seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. So, contrary to popular belief, following God does not have to be this uber-mystical, hyper-spiritual, weird thing. No, he's saying you can actually know, you can have assurance if you're following God. How, does he say, how do we do this? He says, if you testify that the Son is the Savior of the world. That's, that's what Jesus said. He said, I come to the world to testify to the truth. What truth? That he is who he said he was, that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And if we believe this, we testify to this. That's the first part of being assured you're in the love of God. Second part, that last half of uh, verse 16, God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God. And God remains in him. Pretty simple. No palm reading necessary, no dice rolling. It's like, all right, you believe in Jesus, and do you love people? Do you love God? Do you love your neighbor? Well, then you're in. You're in the love of God. You don't have to be all freaked out and ask yourself all the time, am I in the love of God? No, this is how you know. Do you love God, and do you love your neighbor? If yes, it's okay to say yes. You don't have to be like falsely humble. Say, no, I don't. <laughs> if you love God and you love your neighbor, 
You're in the love of God. Reason number five. Last one. Let us love one another. This is good because love is our confidence in judgment. Love is our confidence in judgment. Verse 17. In this, love is made complete, same word again, with us so that we may have confidence. Why was it made complete? So that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, as Jesus Christ is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So John rightfully says there is a day of judgment coming. A day where all of us will stand before our creator and give an account. He says on that day there will be only two responses. Confidence and fear. He says the confident ones their lives will have been marked by one thing, love. Love for their brother and sister. And he says, there's no, there's no fear there. Why? Because perfect love, complete love, has no room for fear. And he gives us the reason why. Because they will stand as he is in the world. Meaning, as Christ stands before his Father. There is no fear of is he going to accept me? Did I do the right thing? There is no fear of that. There is only confidence because he knows the relationship he has with his father. And John says, if we love one another, and this love is made complete, we too will stand before God completely confident. Not an ounce of fear in us. Because we know we stand as Christ does. But he says, some will have a tremendous amount of fear. And rightfully so. Why? Because fear is rooted in punishment. And he says, for those who do not believe in Jesus Christ for their Savior, they will experience punishment for their sins. But for the Christian, for that, those who believe, there's only confidence in that day, that real and coming day. And not because they're great, not because they did anything, but only because they believe in the one who was great and the one who did die for their sins. So wrapping this up, practically, here's what I say to us. Test yourselves. It's good for us to test ourselves, to ask ourselves, are we living a life of love? And there's two wrong responses to this question. As you're leaving here today, as you're driving home, there's two wrong responses. You say, am I living a life of love? First wrong response. You say, yeah, you know, there's some people in my life who really aren't loving me well. And I just learned about what love is, so I'm going to go tell them. The people in my life, they don't love me very well. Wrong response. Okay? The text here, John, writing to you. This applies to you. Saying, you be a person of love. You understand this love of Christ, and then you reciprocate it to your brothers and sisters. The point of this knowledge is not to puff us up, but to lead us in love. You don't go around, hey, you need to love me better. No. Second wrong response. 
pretty much the opposite. Man, I'm really good at loving people. <laughs> like, I really, I sacrifice often. And then you, like, tell people, hey, remember when I sacrificed this for you? And, yeah, I'm, like, really good at loving this person. No, another wrong response. Okay? This exhortation ought to lead us in humility and adoration for the love of Christ and not a puffing up of the self. We all have a very, very long way to go here. And really, really practically, Veritas, here's what I'd love to see. I'd love to see us love one another here, even the people we disagree with. Okay? These are divided times. But guess what? You can still love your brother and sister, even the ones you disagree with. And the reason you can do this is because God loved us first. Amen? Verse 21, I'll close this out here. It says, And we have this command from him, the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's good for us to think about, to ponder the love, the great love that you have for us. Lord, I came up here and trying to even just describe the tiniest little fraction of an ounce of the love you have for us. And Lord, we have so much to learn. We have so much to apply in our lives. We have so, uh, so much farther to come until we're finally with you one day. We will see you as you are, and we will be in that perfect love, Lord. That love will one day be made complete in us when we are with you forever in heaven. So, Father, if there are any here tonight, this morning, rather, that are feeling just the, the draw towards you and your love, they're thinking about it, perhaps for the first time, Lord, I pray that you bring them into your fold, that you give them the faith they need, the boldness to take those steps to talk to somebody and accept you as their Savior. And, Lord, for the rest of us, I pray that you continue to make us people of love, that we would love one another because you first loved us. Thank you so much for Jesus Christ the sacrifice he made on that cross. It's in his name we pray. Amen.